Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 16, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 16 in, in, in just a moment. Uh, I, I, I still remember that first night that my, my parents, uh, Don and Janet Brooks, dropped me off uh, at, at the, uh, they, 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 they walked out the door of my uh, college house on Princeton Street uh, in my freshman year, that first night, and, and, and I just remember thinking, like, okay, uh, college life, here we go, let's do this. Uh, things, things are getting real. Several years later, I remember starting my, my first job, a full-time kind of job as a youth minister back in my hometown, and I'm pretty sure, like, maybe my office was the storage closet, but at the time, I thought that they kind of sandwiched my office between, like, a storage closet in the preschool area. I think my, I think my office just was an old storage closet. Um, but it wasn't much to look at, but I remember there was this realization of like, okay, Jonathan, like you're, you're adulting now, uh, we're, we're, we're doing this, we're, we're doing ministry, it's getting real. Shortly thereafter, Steph and I, I, I remember us going and putting the, the down payment down uh, on, and, and signing that lease on our, on our luxurious uh, $400 a month, it's not luxurious, apartment in Angleton as a married couple, uh, gearing up for our life together as two had become one, and, and, and the thought just, man, things, things are getting real, like we're doing this marriage deal, let's go. Uh, fast forward nearly a decade later, as Steph and I uh, packed up and headed to Brian, uh, and, and we left behind a community, a biblical community in Magnolia that, that we had helped, we had helped kind of create and, and, and build. Uh, I was an associate pastor at the time helping my friend Casey plant a church and all we knew, we knew like 10 people in Bryan. We just knew that God was calling us to plant a gospel-centered church in downtown Bryan. And I remember we came and we, we moved into our little rent house and literally like that weekend, the storm of the century came in and like flooded our house and our garage. Uh, and and I, I was on KBTX News uh, like eight years ago this week. Uh, it's like, w- welcome to town, new pastor. Uh, your house is flooded. Hope things go well. Here's the thing. <laughs> In every season of life, you, you have these moments where, where things get real, like real fast. And, and some of you, like you're, you're walking through those right now. But in every season of following Jesus, the same is true. Amen, church? In every season of following Jesus, you have these moments, these crisis of belief moments where, where things get real, real fast. And the question is, man, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Church fam, at the end of Acts 16, things, things got real for Paul, 
for Silas, for Timothy, for Luke, and all those that were traveling with them on this second missionary trip. You see, whatever, whatever had come before, and a lot had come before, they had encountered Elymas in Acts chapter 13. Uh, they, they had this treacherous uh, trek through this Galatian territory and, and mountains. They, uh, Paul had had large rocks thrown at him and was left for dead in Lystra. Last week we talked about the, the Holy Spirit had even, uh, the Holy Spirit had interrupted and even uh, shut down their plans. But all of that led them to Philippi, and, and, and so Philippi presented a whole new set of challenges and adversity. But it, their time in Philippi also spotlighted the very real presence and power of Jesus. Amen? We see this, the, the missionary training wheels were off, right? No more, no more, no more uh, you know, hanging out in the, the Christianity kiddie pool. They were, they were in the deep end, all in on the mission of Christ. And so here's, here's the question, Christian, for you as we dive into our text this morning. Are you all in on the mission of Jesus? Are you all in on the mission of Jesus? Have you, have you taken ownership of not, not, not just gospel belief, but also the call of the gospel on your life? Because when you, when you do, maybe, maybe you've started to take these steps of obedience and following Jesus, and that realization is, like, has set in, and you're kind of slammed with this reality of like, oh man, this is getting real. Like, like following Jesus, like this, this is the real deal. This is, this is getting costly. There's, there's real opposition here. But maybe you're also experiencing, Christian, the real power of Jesus Christ in you. Amen? I pray, I pray that that's the case. And this morning, we're going to look at some very real things we need to understand as we're on mission with Jesus. And so the first thing we, we look at in verses 16 through the first part of 18 is, is this. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them spiritual warfare is real. Some of y'all started a little late on that, okay? Look at your other neighbor tell them spiritual warfare is real. <laughs> There we go. Look at verse 16. It says this. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. See, the context puts them right back at the place where we left off last week. Earlier in Acts 16, they were at the place of prayer by the river where they had met Lydia. Except this time, instead of, uh, they didn't encounter this, this wealthy woman selling purple attire. They run into a demon-possessed slave girl. And, and you'll, you're going to notice that, that this very much parallels the account in Mark 5 of Jesus. There, there's a lot of parallels with Jesus' encounter in Mark 5 with the Gerasene demoniac. But the text tells us, check this out, she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. In the Greek, it, 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 the Greek literally says, pneuma python, python, uh, python. And so Kent Hughes says this, according to myth, 
Python was a snake that guarded the temple of Apollo and was eventually killed by Apollo himself. Hughes goes on, he says, later the word Python came to mean a demon-possessed person through whom Python spoke. So check this out, church fam. The, the reality was this. Here was the girl's reality. She was, she was doubly enslaved. She was in bondage both physically to, to her owners who were just trying to use her for the fortune telling, but she was also in bondage spiritually to an unseen enemy hell bent on destroying her soul. And it's, hard to, it's hard to fully understand and, and wrap our heads around what's going on, what transpired in verse 17. What we do know is that word, look at the text, that, that word for cry out is the Greek word krazo. <laughs> Sounds like crazy, and, and that would be a, an accurate assessment. means to shout or to scream. So I want you to get this picture. As is, we're in the text, I want you to get this picture. This woman shadows Paul, Silas, and, and company, and she begins to act as their, as their herald, announcing their mission for everybody to hear. Except for like a, a helpful herald, it's more like a lunatic loudspeaker in the background, just blasting everywhere that they go. And for, for, for reasons we don't know, Paul lets it go for, for several days. But it's interesting to know what she cries out. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God. And then in the Greek, it says they're proclaiming a way. It actually says a way of salvation. They're, they're servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming a way of salvation. And views, views vary on, on what was happening here. Some, some believe that the demonic being was working through the woman, seeking to attach the message of Paul and Silas with the fortune-telling girl, thus, thus uh, basically mixing truth with the wrong source. Others believe that, that she was mocking them, was walking around mocking them. But based on the language of the text, I, I tend to believe that the demonic spirit's activity was serving a couple of purposes. One, one was it, it was creating a huge distraction. A huge distraction. Think about it like this. There, there, any given week, uh, you, you might see restoration staff and pastors out and about in downtown. We, we might be connecting with folks uh, to talk about Jesus, the gospel, baptism, the word. And you could, you'll see us at Harvest. You'll see us at the Cow House. You'll see us posted up in different spots in downtown Bryan. I want you to get this picture. I want you to imagine like, like a Matt Ulrich or a Cedric uh, uh, rolling into rolling into Kyle House and, and they're there to meet with a student and just chop it up about the gospel and someone rolls in behind them and is like, this is a servant of the Most High God. <laughs> and you're like, I, man, I'm just trying to like handle my latte over here, Right? Uh, they're here to proclaim a way of salvation. And imagine, imagine like Matt digging in like, you know, Steve, like tell me about, like tell me where you're from, bro. Like, you know, how, like tell me a little bit about your story. Servant of the Most High God, <laughs> right? They're proclaiming a way of salvation. Well, Steve, like, um, hey, let, let me know, like, man, tell me about what God's been doing in your heart and in your life. This is a servant of the Most High God, like, to say that that's unhelpful would be like an understatement, okay? 
But the second thing that's going on, in addition to being a huge distraction, listen, a, a way of salvation could, could have also been diluting the gospel by presenting it as yet another path to God in an already very polytheistic Roman culture. And also that, 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 that phrase, most high God, would have been used in a lot of different contexts to mean different things. Uh, Daryl Darryl Bach says this, the expression is not necessarily a reference to Yahweh, but simply to a supreme God of one's preference. So, so for example, supreme God to the Greeks would have been Apollo. Would have been Apollo. But I want to pause here and I want to, I want to talk some application because I, I think it's important to understand What's going on in verse 16 and 17? I think it'd be easy to miss the obvious. And here's the obvious, Christian. The enemy knows who you are. Y'all with me? If you're with me this morning, say amen. Christian, the enemy knows who you are. And check this out. Satan also knows what you should be doing. He knows what you should be doing. Last week, I shared from Ephesians 6.12, and I think it bears repeating again where Paul's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. It says, for we do not wrestle against the schemes of the, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church fam, spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. It was real in Philippi 2,000 years ago, and it's real today. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, spiritual warfare is real. See, some of you, here's, here's the application. See, some of you are walking through hard things right now, and it, and it feels like you're in a war. And, and now, listen. Um, I, I'm not necessarily talking about uh, demonic uh, possession, okay? Because if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit doesn't really do the roommate situation, okay? <laughs> some, of you, some of you students are like, I would also not like to be doing the roommate situation right now. Um, but, but, but I want you to, it, it may not be demonic, it might not be demonic uh, possession, but, but I, what I am talking about is real spiritual oppression. And, you've, and maybe you've tried, you've tried all sorts of things. You've, you, you've tried the secular counseling route. You've read up. You've studied up. You've tried to pull yourself up and do all the things. And you've done everything but recognize that there may be a spiritual component to what you're going through. In fact, the spiritual may, may be the defining part of the battle. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Yes, we are. We are holistic beings. We never downplay the mental and the emotional and, and, and the physical nature of our battles. In fact, like 20 years ago, two decades ago, like we weren't talking about that. We weren't talking about emotional health. We weren't, we weren't talking about mental health. But, but the thing is, let's be honest, we're actually talking about all those things in our culture today. And, and that's, that's a good thing. But often what we're not addressing 
is the unseen spiritual battle and war that is taking place all around us. A, a spiritual battle that Scripture not only addresses, but provides action points for. Amen? Paul understood the unseen spiritual battle that was waging all around him. Christian, the, que- the question is, do you, do you, are we caught up in the language and the noise of culture and we are oblivious, oblivious to the reality of spiritual warfare? Second thing this morning, as we see the, the authority of Jesus is real. The authority of Jesus is real. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them the authority of Jesus is real. That I think we can get more excited about the authority of Jesus. I want you to look at your other neighbor and tell them the authority of Jesus is real. <laughs> there we go. Verse 18, the second half says this. Paul, I love this. Having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> I like just want to see that. He turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And I'll stop there. See, as verse, as verse 18 continues, we, we see that Paul, Paul has finally had enough. <laughs> this, this brother's like, I'm done. And the text, the text tells us he was greatly annoyed. In the Greek, it's this word diaponeomai. It means to be greatly disturbed, provoked, or irked. Right? But, but check out, check, check this out. Following in the pattern of Jesus, Paul rebukes it and he demonstrates the superior authority of Jesus over Satan and his demonic minions. Amen? And there's two key factors here in Paul's command. One with his command is Paul, Paul was an actual follower of Jesus. The gospel had wrecked him. Jesus had transformed his heart and his life from the inside out. Like we're going to see later in Acts, these sons of Sceva who were unbelievers try to invoke the name of Jesus, right? Like, you know, in the name of Paul's, like, and it did not go well for them. <laughs> did not go well. So we learn that the name of Jesus is not, it's not some hokey enchantment that can be wielded by anyone. It ha- the name of Jesus has power for Christians. Amen? The name of Jesus has power for those who are in Christ and following Christ. But the second thing to notice is Paul, notice Paul doesn't come in his own name. He doesn't come in his own strength. He doesn't reference like the generic God or the man upstairs, you know, the, the big guy upstairs. <laughs> He comes in the name of Jesus. And I've joked about this before, but, but despite all our big talk, like we, we don't stomp the devil under our feet. Like, you know, not today, Satan. Like, listen, I, I, I think we, we need to hold this tension where we, where we understand that Satan, Satan is still the most powerful created being breathed, spoken into existence by God. But he, however, he is still subject to the power and authority and name of Jesus. Amen? Paul understood this. That, that he understood that the authority of Jesus is very real. Very real. Years ago, 
Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Pastor Brandon Durham, pastored uh, in, in Taipei, Taiwan, and he, he, shared, he shared a story of, of, a, of a member, a church member from his church whose unbelieving father had received a, a, a terminal diagnosis. But what he did, he had, he had gone into the Buddhist temples for answers and for healing. And he came out and he, he opened himself up to these demonic spiritual forces. And not long after that, he found himself strapped down to a gurney in a hospital, not in his right mind. And it was there that my buddy Brandon and the pastors, the elders from their church, they, they went and visited this man. And they prayed, they prayed over this man whose voice didn't match up the voice of the man that they, that they knew. And Brandon spoke the gospel over this dude. And then he commanded in the name of Jesus that the Spirit leave. And, he, and Brandon told me, he said, man, it was crazy. The Spirit bargained and said, how about I'll stay for, for an hour, 60 minutes. And they kept speaking the name of Jesus. He said, how about 30 minutes? And he got it down to five. And he said, no, in the name of Jesus, you leave. And finally, the Spirit fled at the name of Jesus and left the man lying on the gurney, but in his right mind. And listen. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon's from East Texas, right? He, he's he's a, a buddy of mine from youth ministry from years back. Uh, he, this dude lived with Stephanie and I for, for a season in, in the early days of our marriage. He grew up in a, in a small Baptist church just like Stephanie and I did. He's not like this hokey mystic. And so here's the thing, church, the power of the enemy is real, but Satan has no territory over what Jesus has already claimed. Amen? No territory. And here's the application, Christian. When, when are you going to start living, Christian, like the enemy is subject to the name and power of Jesus? When are we going to start living like that? Not... Not everything entails demonic activity, but have we, have we lost sight of the power and the authority of Christ? Let me be, let me be clear. I, what I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about like name it hokey, name it, claim it, right? I, I'm not, uh, but, but here, here's the thing. I, there's there's two, two thoughts on this when it comes to walking through those hard battles, those spiritual battles. And, and, and I've had this conversation repeatedly over the years in ministry couple of thoughts. I, sometimes I, I do think, and I talked about this a little bit last week, I do think that we over, we can over-spiritualize things at times. And, and it is a matter of practicality and rhythms and habits. I talk to guys, it's like, gosh, Pastor, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know why, I don't know why I keep getting drunk on, on the weekends. And it's like, because you're at Northgate at 1 a.m. on Friday, like, that's not like, you don't even have to like carry the seven, you know, like, it's not rocket science. Stop it, <laughs> right? Gosh, I, like, I don't know, man, I don't know why, I, I just can't walk in purity. Man, it's because you're feasting your eyes on garbage. You're feasting your eyes on garbage and, and you're not willing to do whatever it takes to walk in victory, you're not willing to put that accountability software on your stuff. And you're not, you're not willing to get that like 2005 like Motorola flip phone that really doesn't have a screen that like 
ain't nobody got, but you need it, right? You're not willing to reach out and get those Christian brothers and sisters in your corner. Talk to people, it's like, gosh, man, I don't know why I'm, st- I'm, I'm dealing with, with this. I, I, just, I feel so... I just feel so down all the time. And it's like, man, you, you sit in a dark room with no community and no contact for hours at a time on a screen. And listen, I'm not, I'm not making light of those struggles. I'm just saying sometimes I think we're not being real with ourselves. I mean, we're not being real with ourselves. Church, some of you just need to be honest about your habits and rhythms, but... Here's the thing, on the other hand, for others, there is a deeply spiritual and theological component that you're missing. You're not, you're not saturating your, your mind and your heart with the gospel and the word of God, and you've lost sight of who you are in Christ, Christian. You've lost sight. You've lost sight of the power and the authority of Christ in you. You've lost sight of the fact that though, yes, the presence of sin still remains in our lives until Jesus returns. Man, sin's penalty and power has been broken in your life, Christian. That's biblical truth. Now, you've got to appropriate, you've got to live out, you've got to live in light of what God has already said, of who God sees you and says you are in Christ. Romans, it's what Romans is talking about. Romans 6, 11 through 14 says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not, Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Christian sin has no dominion. There, like no, no power over you because there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen? And the authority of Jesus over our lives and over this world is real. The question is, man, do we believe that? Do we believe that and are we going to live in light of God's Word? Third thing this morning, we see in verse 20 through 24 that Third thing we see is that oppression, the oppression is real. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell them oppression is real. Look at your other neighbor, neighbor, tell them the oppression is real. Check this out. Verse 20 says this. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. See, verse Verse 20 through 24 is a blur of persecution. Kent Hughes says, he says it like this. Hughes says, Paul had touched the prophet's hearts. <laughs> the problem was their hearts were in their wallets. See, they, 
They cared nothing about this girl. They cared nothing about the girl's freedom from demonic oppression. They cared nothing about this girl's physical freedom. They only cared about their loss of profit. Just, just like the folks that Jesus encountered in Mark 5 when he cast out the, the demon in the Gerasene territory. See, Paul, the itinerant Jewish preacher in Philippi, was now the enemy who was about to face their, their wrath. Paul later in 1 Thessalonians, he, he would reference how, how outrageously they were treated in Philippi. Church, look, look at verse 20 through 22. Just, just in those few verses, we see the words attack, stripped, stripped. It's like humiliating, beaten, flogged through in jail before they finally bound their feet in stocks. The, the oppression that they dealt with was real. The oppression that they dealt with was real. They Listen, and as you look at verse 20, man, they, they, dealt, they dealt with, first of all, they dealt with ethnic oppression. He said, the, these guys, they are Jews. Look at, look at these Jews that have come and have, have come to stir things up. Notice there's no mention of Luke or, or others getting beaten and tossed in jail. The implication is that Paul and Silas were more clearly Jewish than their, than their companions. And so what's going on is anti-Semitism ran high in these times, especially in Philippi as a Roman colony, especially in Philippi that had a heavy Roman military presence. It was a place where Roman military would go and retire. Then already at this time, we know the emperor was already expelling Jews from Rome. In A.D. 70 was right around the corner where hundreds of thousands, if not over a million Jews would be slaughtered. So there was ethnic oppression, but also in 22 through 24, they experienced very real physical oppression as well as they were tortured and treated shamefully. So church, listen, don't we we don't we don't downplay any of this. Just just like we don't downplay oppression, the oppression that people walk through today. It's important to go back to verse 17 and just go back, look at verse 17 and and, and I want us to understand the interesting thing, when that, when that girl was going behind Paul and Silas and shouting, these are servants of the Most High God. The interesting thing about that word servant in the Greek is, is, is it's this Greek word doulos. And it's used interchangeably as bondservant and slave. Paul often would say, I'm a bondservant, I'm a slave of Christ. This, this girl shouted, these are slaves of the Most High God. You say, well, what, is, what is this telling us? Listen you, you are, listen, you are either still enslaved to your sin in the brokenness, in the death that, that accompanied it, or you are enslaved to the righteousness in the life of Jesus Christ. And, and here's the great paradox, Ready? To be enslaved to Christ is actually to be yoked up with freedom and life. Church family, the, the two most free men in that jail cell that night were Paul and Silas. And we're gonna see, we're gonna see in a few weeks. That's why, that's why they would worship. That's why they would, that's why they would sing praises to Jesus. 
Because Jesus had already freed them from their greatest source of oppression, their own spiritual bondage to sin and death. They were now bond servants of Christ with a message and with a mission. And though the oppression was real, the authority of Jesus over sin and death meant that, listen, despite their circumstances, despite what they were walking through, their identity and their hope were in Jesus. Their identity and hope was in the resurrection. Their identity and their hope was in the kingdom. Did God care about the the ethnic and the physical oppression and the torment that they went through that day? Absolutely. Absolutely He did. And He still does. But ultimate freedom is being freed from the stranglehold of sin and death and eternal separation from the Father. In the 4th century, it was the Roman Emperor of Alans who threatened one of the church fathers, Eusebius, he threatened him to, with, with confiscation of all his goods, with, with torture, with banishment, and even death. And Eusebius courageously replied, he said this, he, he said he, he needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. Church fam, I'll close. Let me me close with this this morning. Though though we can't know with absolute certainty if if the demon-possessed girl followed Jesus, uh, many many speculate that she did. I, I like to... Maybe again, it's, it's a little bit of sanctified speculation. I like to think that that girl was changed, that she followed Jesus. And if that's the case, just, just to make sure we're paying attention, right? God, if that was the case, God decided to build the Philippian church, like, like that little core team would, would have been a, a, a wealthy woman from Asia, a formerly demon-possessed slave girl, and a jailer who was very likely former Roman military, probably an officer. God's like, that's a sweet core group. Let's, let's go with that. But even more significant in light of, for, for an Israelite, for a Jew, God took a, a woman, a, a slave, and a Gentile, and a Gentile leader at that, all historically and culturally despised by the Jews. And God said, yeah, let's, let's get that Philippian church going. I, I love, church family, I love that God takes this random, jumbled mess of broken people and He builds His church, Amen. I love it. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, like, I, I, I'm broken. Like, I, I'm, I'm broken. I feel like I'm disqualified. And you're right. We all are. Well, welcome. Welcome to the club. That's why Jesus came. That's why Christ came. Because there was real opposition. 
And there was real oppression, but praise God, there is real power in the name of Jesus. There is real power in the person and work of Jesus. And so the question is, what are you waiting on? Like, what are you waiting on? If you're here, like, Jesus, Jesus loves you. Like, He traded His life for yours. He offers real forgiveness. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus offers real forgiveness. He offers real mercy. He offers real hope. He offers real abundant and eternal life. But the thing is, until you receive it, it'll it'll never be real to you. Until you receive it, it'll never be real to you. Last thing, Acts 4.12 says this. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Y'all pray with me this morning.